And if you have your Bibles, would you turn them to Joshua chapter 24? Joshua chapter 24, we're going to read verses 13 through 29. And I want to preach a message this evening I've entitled, Navigating the Junctures of Life. And I was thinking in regards to many of our young people who have graduated recently, whether it be from high school or from college, and how after these events, the graduation, your life takes a drastic turn. I was able to go to the uh, Winder Barrow High School graduation for Christian Eberhardt. And as I was looking and trying to count, get a count, it's like 500 high school graduates. And I was just moved upon as I watched these young people. And they're all excited about graduating from high school. All their hard work's paid off. And, but they have no idea. I mean, they might have some idea. But they have no idea that their life is about to drastically change. Many of the people that maybe they went to school with for either the last four years of high school, some of these people probably went to grade school and junior high with some people, and you may never see them again. And there's something about graduation, something about junctures in life um, that can become disorienting to people. It can be a good thing. And it can be a bad thing. I remember my own high school graduation and how, uh, yeah, I, I can still remember. It's, it's been a while, but I still remember it. <clears throat> how drastic of a turn my life took after high school. Not for the better, by the way. Because I made some bad decisions after high school. But as God's people, we will all face junctures in this life where we move from one thing to another. And how we navigate the junctures of life is very critical. What you do with your faith at a juncture in life, this turning point, and it will require decisions and how that will play out in our lives. The definition of a juncture is a, uh, the dictionary says it's a point of time, especially one made critical or important, by a concurrence of circumstances. An example of this is at this juncture, we must decide whether to stay or to walk out. The second definition is a serious state of affairs, a crisis. The matter has reached a juncture and a decision must be made. The third definition of juncture is the line or point at which two bodies are joined. It is a joint or a seam where two things are joined together. And so when I'm talking about the junctures of life, I'm talking about where life takes a little bit different turn, and, but it's still connected to your old life. In other words, people graduate from high school. They, it's the same person. They're just moving on now in a different direction in life. And so I want to look tonight at... Uh, Navigating the junctures of life. Let's go ahead and read Joshua 24 in our text. Joshua is an old man. He's close to death. And he brings God's people to a decision about what they're going to do after he dies. He's having this meeting with God's people because he knows that they're going to face a juncture after he passes into eternity, and they will have to make decisions and navigate this successfully if they're going to continue on in the victory that God has given them. 
And so he's speaking to the people of God as he's about to pass away. Joshua 24, uh, beginning, I said, in verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. This is God speaking to his people. And cities which you did not build and you dwell in them, you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people uh, passed through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from, among, from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. <laughs> Come on, Joshua, be a little more encouraging. You, know, you can't serve God. <laughs> he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. So he's really challenging them here. He says, hey, look, man, you can't, you can't serve God and, and, and the things of this world. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that uh, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. I want to begin tonight and talk about vulnerability at the junctures. Life brings with it junctures we will have to navigate. Some will be expected junctures, like graduation. We're expecting to graduate uh, some will be unexpected, uh, but life is full of junctures. Life is full of turning points uh, that we will have to navigate in our life of faith. Uh, some junctures we will face. I'm not going to list them all because there's many junctures, but one is graduation. One is marriage. One is uh, a death in the family. One is a health crisis, uh, a job loss, or a job change. Moving to a different location, a geographic location, aging, disappointment, sin. All of us face different junctures, relationship breakups. We will all face these junctures in life, 
and how we navigate them through our life of faith uh, is very critical because people uh, are very vulnerable at junctures in their life. A good example of this is my own life. When I was 15 years old, my family, my father got a promotion, and my family moved from Tucson to Phoenix. I moved from like the bad side of town in Tucson to kind of the nice side of town, a newer area of town in Phoenix, and it was disorienting to me. Until that time, I wasn't what you call an athlete, but I was in sports. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I really wasn't, besides some mischief, I really hadn't gotten a lot of trouble, uh, but uh, moved to Phoenix. This disoriented me, and so as a result, I began to um, to be, you know, to get involved with people that were not good people. As a result, you know, bad, bad, uh, corrupt, bad, uh, bad companions, corrupt good manners, you know, as the Bible says. And so these bad relationships that I had got me involved in things that I never thought I'd get involved in. And I started doing things I never thought I'd do. And so that happened. I don't know if that would happen if I would have stayed there, but there was something about that juncture of moving to a different geographic location that disoriented my life and made me vulnerable, actually, to temptation of the devil. You know, I, uh, there's a study that said that when people move geographically, it is a time when they can experience change in their lives for the good or the bad. People can turn over a new leaf. You know, something about when you move to a different location. I mean, no, you, can, you can start life anew. It's like, hey, I don't have to, uh, maybe you're entrenched in some bad things and some bad behavior. You move to a new place. Hey, I can kind of start over and, and make new friends and maybe uh, turn over a new leaf in life. Or you can get involved, you can begin to deteriorate like I did. They actually did, a, there was an article years ago in Christian publication that talked about how people, when they move, are often more open to the gospel. And so they actually said that when people move geographically, that there's a time frame, usually right after they move, uh, where they can become very open to the things of God. And this is why we as Christians it must be sensitive. How many times have you met somebody, perhaps, that we just moved here? How many of you know when people just moved here, man, they're, they're trying to you know, make friends, they're trying to connect, they're trying to find their place in life. And many times if they encounter a Christian and encounter a good witness, what can happen is God can open their hearts, and this can be a vulnerability in a good way where their heart can be open to the things of God, and they can get saved. So be aware, Christian. Somebody moves into your neighborhood, a new student in school, or somebody, a new person on the job, somebody just moved to town. Be sensitive to what God's doing because many times uh, that, that move, that geographic move, that juncture in their life uh, caused them to be open to the gospel. I want to look at a parable that Jesus spoke about who, who people who let certain junctures in their life distract them or disorient them from their faith. In Luke 14, verses 16 through 21, it says, Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper, invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask, to ha I ask you to have me excused. 
And notice that I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And so Jesus is talking. He's giving this this parable, and he's talking about people at the junctures of their life, uh, how they had forgotten what's important. One was the juncture of prosperity. I have bought a piece of ground. I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. Hey, man, I got, you know, I got some investments I need to watch over. So God has prospered this person, uh, but the juncture of prosperity has disoriented them from what's really important and what's really important eternally. How many of you know prosperity can do that? Bible warns in Deuteronomy 8, you know, beware lest you forget the Lord your God, that he's the one that gave you wealth. Paul spoke of Demas in the gospel. He said, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So somehow Demas, uh, as as he's, you know, preaching the gospel, somehow the lure of the world, that juncture of the world pulling on his life disrupted him from the call of God that God had for him. It's a juncture of marriage. So still a nurse said, I am married a wife, therefore I cannot come. You know, I mean, I mean no, you get married, you can't serve God anymore. You know, it's, it's just, that's, you know. But listen, I've seen over the years Something happens many times to single people that were on fire, that were involved in the things of God, and have them get married. And all of a sudden, there's no time for outreach. There's no time for prayer. We have to spend time together. That's important. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that the things of God just go to the wind. I've counseled couples getting married, and I can think of a couple just right outstanding in my mind. And one of the things I counsel a couple before they get married is, have you talked about whether you're called to preach or not? Are you both on the same page with that? And, you know, a lot of times it's kind of funny how many times they haven't talked about that. Hey, that's a big deal, you know? It's like, hey, if you, you know, I hope one of you is not feeling called and the other one's not. But many times I've, I've had these conversations and usually it's the guy saying, yeah, I'm called, you know, I want to, and, 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 you know, and then the wife is marrying, he says, well, whatever God wants, I'll do it. That always makes me nervous. Instead of saying, yeah, I, I, want, I want to be a pastor's wife. Well, whatever God wants, you know, that's, that's kind of like, that's sketchy. Because I've seen these people get married, and as soon as they get married, we need to buy a house. We need a new car. We need to do that. We need, and they get totally involved in the things of this world. And they forget their calling. They don't, they don't, uh, they're not preparing their lives for the call of God anymore. They're preparing and setting up their lives for prosperity. What about children? The next juncture, can't come to church tonight. The kids have school tomorrow. 
can't come to church because the kids have a game on Sunday. I remember a family I had to deal with when I was pastoring in another city every other weekend. Listen, I've, you know, my, my son was in soccer. My kids were in sports. And we missed a Wednesday night service every once in a while. I'm not trying to be some, you know, uh, you know, hard taskmaster here. You know, there's, there's situations where you make exceptions. Uh, but this couple was every other weekend was a soccer tournament. And so it's just they're out of town. This, you, know, like, you know, they only show up to church like twice a month. And it's like I'm trying to, hey, you can't establish a righteous lifestyle by just coming to church twice a month. You, can, you know, you can't do that. And you're teaching your kids something that the house of God is not important. You're teaching your kids uh, that physical exercise, uh, that the things of this world, the things of this life, are just as important as the house of God. Unless the house of God is a priority in your life, uh, you will teach your kids. And what happens is your kids will take it to the next degree. You know how it is. Your kids, you know, you, you... you go here and your kids one-up you. And so what happens is, is instead of going to church twice a month, they don't go to church at all. And that's what's happened today with their kids, I can tell you. I remember early days in the Tucson church, kids falling asleep under the metal chairs at church, you know. And we just, we had, we had drug problems in our church. We drug our kids to church. We drug them to music night. We drug them to outreach. We drug them everywhere with us, you know, and... And so we gave our kids drug problems. There's a juncture of a death of a family member or a friend, especially when it's unexpected or tragic. One of the unfortunate things I had to deal with in Tucson was there was a period of like two years where we had almost 50 funerals. Some of this was COVID-related, older people in the church that had, you know, vulnerabilities in their health. And, but some of them were tragic, car accidents, you know, young people being tragic, and, and just, you know, different things. And it's amazing what happens at the juncture of a tragedy or the juncture of a death in somebody's life. Somebody that's established in the faith, somebody that's really living for God. All of a sudden, man, it's like they start questioning God. Why could God let this happen to me? Why did God let this happen? They start questioning. And it's at the juncture of a tragedy that you have to navigate that. I'm not saying you don't grieve. I'm not saying that you don't go through that. I mean, obviously, people will be set back. Their heads will be spinning. But navigating that is very critical to your faith. If you start pointing the finger at God, and you start blaming God, you start becoming bitter, that's going to disrupt your faith. And, you know, people say, why? Why did this happen? Well, for one thing, the Bible says it's a pointer and the man wants to die. And we're not, none of us are given any guarantee about how long we will live. Some people die young, some people die old, but everybody's going to die. One out of every one person is going to die. Except for Elijah and Enoch, okay? So unless you're a descendant of Elijah and Enoch, you're not, you don't have, the odds aren't going very good for you. But I've seen these people that don't navigate it good, they begin to drop off. They're coming to God. Or... They stay, listen, there's a time to grieve, but many times people stay stuck in grief. You know, it's two years later, and they're still, you know, that's still the main thing in their mind. Listen, I understand 
uh, a tragedy will affect you for the rest of your life. But you don't have to camp out around that in your life. You have to move on with your life. Because your family needs you to be there for them too. It's a juncture of a health crisis. Unexpected sickness or a disturbing diagnosis can be a juncture that you will have to navigate. I wasn't expecting this. I got a bad report from the doctor. How many of you know that that will have to be navigated? There's juncture of leadership change. Y'all dealing with that now. This guy is different. This is what Joshua is addressing in the text. This is what Joshua is saying. He said, listen, I'm moving on. I'm going into eternity. And he said, listen, you're about to enter into a juncture, and you're going to have to navigate this juncture successfully. And he's challenging them. You better live for God. But, you know, a, a leadership change can be not just a bad thing, but it can be an opportunity for God to do something new. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, everybody knows the scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah had a fresh revelation of God when King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a good king. He was a righteous king. He had some problems at the end of his life, but he was a good king. Uh, good king. One article I read said King Uzziah in the Bible was one of the good kings of Judah. King Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Judah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father Amaziah had done. He made some mistakes later in life, but he was a good king. And so you think, okay, King Uzziah died, it's all over. No, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, died, I saw the Lord. High and lifted up on the throne. I had a new revelation of God. There are many junctures in life that can make us vulnerable and destabilize us. Job change. Many of you experience job change. It's just, it's, it's just disorienting. It's like... You know, you, you're, you know, you're doing something new. You got a new boss and you're trying to navigate all this. Uh, and this can affect your faith. I want to look next at successfully navigating our junctures. I read an article out of Campus Crusade for Christ. And it was talking about decisions at turning points. And it says, life can be going along smoothly for a season. Your job is satisfying. Your friends and family are enjoyable. Your goals, finances, health, and outlook seem bright. Then all of a sudden, life throws a curveball. Someone you know gets sick. You lose your job. A friend or family member betrays you. The things you felt secure in all of a sudden feel shaky and uncertain. How do you trust that God is good in these circumstances? How do you trust Him when you do not understand what is happening? When you cannot see a resolution, uh, these are valid questions, and God wants, you, wants to help you navigate them. Trusting God is more than a feeling. It's a choice to have faith in what He says, even when your feelings or circumstances would have you believe something different. Your feelings and circumstances matter and are very much worth paying attention to. God cares about them both, but those things alone are not reliable enough to base your life on. 
They can change at any moment, even in an instant. God, on the other hand, does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and therefore is worthy of your trust. And so he's talking about the unpredictability of life and that how life will find you in a juncture you did not expect and how you navigate that is very critical. Joshua knows that things are about to change with the people of God entering the promised land, his soon departure from this life. In verses 13 through 15, it says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor. They're coming into the promises of God. And cities which you did not build, and you, will, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vine, vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think, I think Joshua gave the first altar call. You need to make a decision right now. What are you going to do? You're coming into this prosperity. I'm getting ready to die and pass on. You're ready to enter into a juncture in your life, and I hope you're ready for it. He says, because the way you get ready for it is to make a commitment to God that you're going to serve him. You know, as we navigate our juncture in this life, it will require renewed commitment to the things of God. We will need this constant renewing of our commitment because life is full of unpredictabilities and setbacks. In John chapter 6, we have one of these junctures, a very well-known story. Jesus is with the disciples when people are following him because he multiplied the loaves and fishes in John 6, 26 and 27. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And so what Jesus is saying is that no fish today, no miracle today, no multiplication of loaves and fishes today, just me, you get me. And it says in John 6, 66 through 69, from that time, Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, You're at a juncture. You're at a juncture here. What are you going to do? Listen, God will bring every one of us to that juncture. Several times in your life, he'll bring you to that juncture. What are you going to do at this moment? Okay, it didn't work out. The prayer wasn't answered the way you thought. God didn't come through the way you thought he was going to come through. Jesus turns and says, what are you going to do? Peter has those, one of those great moments. Lord, you have the words of eternal. Where am I going to go? That's a good place to be. When you're a Christian... And things are going bad, but you really sit down and think, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Am I going to go back to my old life? Am I just going to go back to sin? That's not an answer for anything. 
Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Whether I'm getting bread and fish or not getting bread and fish, I still need you in my spirit. I still need your Holy Spirit working in my life. Jesus said, don't labor. He said, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. He said, you need to labor for eternal things. There will be junctures of disappointment in your life of faith. Exodus 15, 22 through 25, the waters of Marah. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Then they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. See, everyone will go through a season where you thought something was going to happen that was good doesn't happen. You thought it was going to be a sweet experience. You thought it was going to satisfy your thirst. You thought it was going to satisfy your need. But when you take a drink of it, it's like poison. What you do at that moment, it's very critical. It's interesting that God showed Moses a tree. It's a picture of the cross, that being cast into the bitter waters, uh, how the bitter waters were made sweet. And see, when you, when you take yourself to the cross, the bitter experiences of life can be made sweet again when you go to the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul had a similar revelation Of God as he served him. In Acts chapter 20, Paul gathers the Ephesian elders because he's getting ready to depart on another missionary journey. If you read through that story, he actually writes that he knows he will never see them again. This is a juncture. This is a big juncture for him, and it's a big juncture for the Ephesian people. He he knows, he says, I will never see you again on this side of eternity. And in Acts 20, 22 through 24, He says, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so Paul's stepping on this mini-missionary journey, and he knows he's about to hit some junctures. You know, some some junctures of hardship. He says, I don't know what's going to happen, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except the Holy Spirit is saying that chains and tribulations await me. He said, but none of these things move me. In other words, he says, I've made a commitment in my life uh, that I'm going to serve God no matter what. And I think that's important to do in the junctures of life, to have that mindset. God, I don't know what's going to happen in my life. Tragedy, setback, disappointment, job loss, health crisis. But God, I'm going to serve you. Because I believe in the longevity, you're going to work these things through in my life. You're going to help me. Paul learned how to navigate the junctures of life. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. 
But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, I have learned. There's a learning process. You have to learn the junctures of life, how to be content. It, it, it's a learned art. He says, I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. I know how to be full, and I know how to be hungry. In other words, Paul learned how to navigate the junctures of life. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes we have to navigate the juncture of our own sin. I know none of you ever sin here. 1 Samuel 12, the people of God commit evil by asking for a king like all the other nations. God was going to give them a king. That's a whole other sermon and study. But they want a, a king like all the other nations instead of God to be their king. And in 1 Samuel 12, Samuel's addressing God's people, and he's telling them about the evil of them asking for a king, but he has these interesting words. I'm going to read verses 19, 20, and 23. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Now, there's a phrase there where he says, I believe it's there in verse 20, Samuel said to the people, do not fear, you have done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. What's he saying is, uh, uh, Pastor Warner preached a sermon many, many years ago, decades ago. He said, don't blow it because you blew it. In other words, he said, just because you sinned, don't compound that sin. If you make a mistake, don't compound the mistake. Stop where you are, repent, turn to God, be forgiven, ask for God's grace, ask for God's help. He says, don't, but don't continue on the momentum of that bad decision. I actually preached two sermons in Tucson called Breaking Bad Momentum. How we break bad momentum. We're on this course, we're on this bad course. And, and what Samuel's doing, he said, listen, bad momentum can be broken in your life. You can be headed in a wrong direction. He said, you have done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. He says, listen, you can break this momentum. You can make bad decisions. You can blow it. And God can restore you. God can help you. Another thing I want you to see about this, uh, he says, uh, Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Just because people blow it, you don't stop praying for them. Don't stop praying for people when they blow it. Paul said, you know what? I'm not going to stop praying for you. He said, far be it for me. He said, you know, I'm not some kind of, you know, 
be all, be all hurt because somebody disappointed me in my life. I'm going to continue to pray for I'm going to continue to, sh- continue to show you the good and right way. Don't give up on people so quick. I want to end tonight talking about making an altar. Very brief, third point. In closing, Joshua gets the people to make a covenant and set up an altar of remembrance of their commitment to serve God through the junctures of life. Verses 22 through 27. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves uh, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So what it's talking about is making an altar. It's interesting that this altar was set up by the sanctuary of the Lord. You know, something about church will keep you going for God. You know, get your head back on straight when you're starting to think crazy. You can come to church and you can enter into the presence of God and hear a, hear a sermon. And, you know, God can reorient your life to the things of God. It's like, a, it's like a satellite dish, you know. All of a sudden the picture starts getting fuzzy and everything and, and you got line that satellite dish up with the, uh, you know, with the satellite, uh, and all of a sudden the picture becomes clear. Sometimes we're like that as believers. Uh, we need to come to church. Our, you know, our, our, our vision of God is fuzzy and broken up, and we have to come back, and we, oh, we, have, we realign our, our, you know, our, our spirits to God. He can, his vision becomes more clear in our lives. But the house of God is a critical place for us to navigate the junctures of life because you know how it is. is woe to that man who falls when he falls and he's, he's by himself. My life, you know, getting saved, having children, growing older, sickness of a child. I had a wayward child for a while, seasons of marriage, church conflict, seasons of prosperity, seasons of setback. I've been through it all. Life changes, but the mission stays the same. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what happens in life, Jesus stays the same. And no matter what happens, we preach the gospel. We continue on in the things of God. 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. He says in season and out of season. How I many you know the changing of seasons, whether you're going from summer to fall to winter to spring, they're all seams in our seasons. You're moving from one season to another, from one temperature to another, but they're all part of the necessary sowing and reaping and part of the cycle of the earth. And so the seasons of your life are the same way. You'll have good seasons, bad seasons, in season, out of season. But they're all seamed together. They're all junctures you'll have to face. Good junctures, bad junctures. 
make an altar to serve him in every season or juncture of life. The good thing about what we read about this story is we're given a record that the people of God did this. I want to read verses 29 through 31, then we'll close. Came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnah, Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the side of the Mount Gosh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of, uh, of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. It says that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the people who outlived Joshua. So in other words, they made this commitment and they stuck to that commitment after he died. And so this is what God wants to do in junctures of life. You're going to face disorienting circumstances in life. It could be graduation. What am I going to do now with my life? <laughs> you know? Oh, no, I got a good job now. What am I going to do? Some kind of disorienting thing happens. Uh, just make sure you take Jesus with you through it. And that seam from the good to the bad, it can all be one, be like patchwork throughout your life. You know, it's a seam moving from one thing to another. And it can make the patchwork of, of, of your life. And, and God's doing something far beyond what you see. And so keep Jesus in the junctures of your life. Let's bow our heads tonight. Appreciate your attention and your patience this evening. Navigating the junctures of life. We will all encounter them. One of the junctures that we face is the juncture of a decision. Am I going to serve God or am I not going to serve God? Joshua told the people, he said, make a decision today. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. There's something about the gospel. There's something about God commanding his people to make a decision that he said, you need to make a decision right now. You need to decide in your heart. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't procrastinate. Make a decision right now. Maybe there's, here's, there's someone here tonight that you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're backslidden. You're away from God tonight. Maybe you need to make a decision. You need to make that decision tonight. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. No one's promised another day. And now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If that's you tonight. You're unsaved or you're backslidden. You're away from God. You know you need to get right with God. Don't put it off. Why would you put it off? The devil's, the devil's mastermind, you know, one of the things he does, he tells people, yeah, you need to get right with God. Just wait till tomorrow. Wait till next week. And he keeps having them stall and put it off. And then all of a sudden you reach that point where you don't want to get right with God anymore. That conviction isn't there. Jesus said, my spirit will not always strive with man. You know, God's not always going to be dealing with you. People make the mistake that the conviction and the drawing of the Holy Spirit they feel today, they're going to feel that tomorrow. No, it says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because God's moving on. When God moves upon you, it's a precious thing. If that's you this evening, you're unsaved, you're backslidden, you need Jesus Christ, slip up your hand, put it right back down. Say, would you pray for me? 
Pastor Penny came in. God sees those hands, those young kids. God bless you tonight. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Church tonight, I really felt burdened, felt really impressed about this message. And I don't know what's happening in everybody's lives. I mean, I hear things, you know, about what's happened with some people. But there are junctures in life, man. There's, there's tragedies, there's setbacks, there's disappointments, there's all kinds of circumstances we're not expecting. There's financial things, losing jobs, and, and you know, just things we weren't expecting, conflicts we weren't expecting. And how we navigate those things is very critical to our faith. And that no matter what you're going through in life, God can make himself real to you. And, and the challenge from Joshua is, hey, you got to serve God, folks. He says, you need to make a commitment. You're going to serve God. And God will let God work it all out. It's not up to you to work it all out. Let God work it out. These altars are open if you'd like to come and pray tonight.